following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Once I stumbled in the darkness, doing only as I pleased. But I wasn't really happy, and my heart was not at ease. I just didn't have the willingness to follow His commands, till I laid my heart knowledge of God. Let's pray. Almighty King, you know all about our hearts. 
You know about the way we've been walking in arrogance and sin before your face. You know how our hearts are calling after darkness. Lord, you have seen us from the time we were conceived in our mother's womb to the time of our gray hairs and our death. Nothing is hidden from your eye. I ask now, Almighty God, for your mercy. Have mercy. Oh, Lord, have have mercy upon us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The children of Israel have been to the altar of God where they have wept over their sins. They have confessed their sins. They've turned aside from wickedness. They have changed their behavior. The suckling lamb has been offered. The Philistines have been defeated by the power of God. But it was too much trouble. And so they said, we want the king program. And so the Lord said, listen to them and give them a king. Now it's set up. There is no policy in place for selecting a king. They don't have a procedure for election. How is the king going to be appointed? Should Samuel go to his prayer closet and wait before God? Should the elders of Israel come together and vote? How will God choose a king? Well, it all starts with donkeys. That's an appropriate beginning. We find in chapter 9 of 1 Samuel, that Saul has an impressive young man. That Saul is an impressive young man, the son of Kish. He is without equal among the Israelites because he is head and shoulders taller than everyone else. Now there were donkeys that belonged to Saul's father and they were lost. And Kish said to his son, take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. It doesn't seem to be the way I would start the process of selecting a king. But I want you to watch something. We're going to go step by step through this. Because if you can understand this way of God, it will lift the burden of your heart. Here's Saul, a young man, a farmer. He is from the tribe of Benjamin the smallest and most insignificant of tribes. They were almost decimated by their sin and the judgment that God passed on them. Only a few remained. And now Saul begins to look for his donkeys 
Because God has already begun the process of choosing to reveal himself to Saul. This wasn't about the donkeys. This was about Saul. God begins the process of moving in events to reveal himself to Saul's heart. God has been moving in your life. He has been arranging details in your life. He has been doing this for many years. He's been doing this in order to reveal himself to your heart. Maybe through donkeys. Maybe lost donkeys. To begin to reveal to your heart who he is. Now the question is, will you see and understand what God is trying to reveal to your heart? Because if you miss what God is trying to reveal to your heart, you're going to end up sitting at a witch's table. Do you understand? Saul never intended to end up committing suicide. Saul didn't start as this promising young farmer chosen by God to be king. He did not intend to end his life in a shameful suicide. But he was unable to see God revealing himself to his heart. He rejected the revelation. If you reject the revelation of God, the glory you now have in your heart will become a shame. Saul's father tells the men, go, take a servant with you, Saul, look for the donkeys. Having some background on farms, Very seldom can you pen a donkey in in such a way that he won't get out one time or another. I'm sure this has happened before. With no protest, he puts some food in a bag, some bread, perhaps some cheese, and he takes the servant and he starts to follow these donkeys. He wasn't even that upset. Obviously, he's become accustomed to chasing donkeys. Now, as they pass through one community after another, asking after the donkeys, the donkeys have always gone ahead of them. They're unable to find them. And finally, in desperation, out of food, out of money, they are broke Saul begins to say, we'd better go back home. My father's going to begin worrying about me. But in verse 6, the servant replies, look, in this town, there is a man of God. He is highly respected and everything he says comes true. Now let's go. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. And suddenly these Circumstances are weaving themselves in such a way around Saul's life that he is being forced to admit that he has no money, that he has no bread, 
and that he needs something. He has to turn to his servant and say, I have nothing to give the man of God. And the servant says, well, I've got a quarter in my pocket. We can give him a quarter. So shamed at giving the man of God a quarter, they go to find the man of God. As they go in toward the town, they are met by some girls who've come out to draw water. And they ask them, is the seer here? He is, they answer. He's ahead of you. Hurry now. He has just come to our town today. So Saul has been out looking for the donkeys now for many days. He runs out of food. He runs out of money. And at just the right day, at just the right time, he comes into town thinking he's looking for donkeys. But God has sent the prophet Samuel ahead of him. And so the prophet Samuel is already in town. He's already told the chef which piece of meat to put aside for the young man who will be coming looking for donkeys. The meal is already in preparation. Saul is coming as the guest of honor to a dinner he didn't even know was going to be served. But God knew. God chased the donkeys. Now watch. They went up to the town. Verse 14. And as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming toward them on his way up to the high place. Now we read this in the scripture and we're not surprised. So he comes into town. There's Samuel. Now notice. Verse 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him leader over my people Israel. He will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked upon my people. I've heard their cry and has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. But notice, Saul approached Samuel. Would you please tell me the way to the seer's house? He doesn't even recognize Samuel. You're walking in the circumstances. You think you're just chasing donkeys. But God's right in the middle of what's happening in your life. And you're saying, where's God? Well, yesterday he already knew that you would be there. And he already made preparation for you before you arrived. So you go right ahead and just ask, where is God? Because he's going to show up right in the middle of it. 
I am the seer, verse 19. Samuel replied, go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me. Remember, this is a young man whose bread sack is empty. He has no money. He is broke. He doesn't have enough, home, enough money to get home. He has a long hike ahead of him with no provisions. And suddenly he's being told, you're to eat with me. And in the morning, I will let you go and tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They've been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and all your family? Can you hear today? That God has turned all of his favor toward you? As you're walking out there trying to find your donkeys, the favor of God is turned toward you. And God is in the midst of these circumstances that are in your life. Your own sin, your own rebellion. All of this is mixed up in it. You've created crisis, you've created situations that that look impossible. Some of it is just flat out, God chased the donkeys out and you've just got to run after them. But God's in the midst of the circumstance of your life. Whatever it is today, he's in the midst of the circumstance. He knew yesterday what was going to be happening. And now he's saying to Saul, come to the banqueting table. Isn't that what we preach the gospel is? Isn't the gospel come to the banqueting table of the Lord? Isn't it, I'll prepare for you a table in the presence of your enemies? Your cup will run over? So the Lord is right in the middle of the circumstances where you find yourself. Now, Saul's response is informative. Verse 21, but I am not, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? You know, who am I? I'm nobody. I'm insignificant. I'm a sinner. Who am I? Well, of course, you have to recognize something very quickly here. When I start saying, who am I? I'm nobody. That's just the opposite of somebody saying, hey, I'm somebody. It's the same coin of the realm. I mean, Saul is not confessing smallness out of humility. He's always wanted to be somebody. And now he is somebody, and he gets to say he's nobody. He's just playing a game. How do I know that? Because of what's going to happen later. But watch. This is 1 Samuel, the ninth chapter. Then Samuel, in verse 22, brought Saul and his servant into the hall and seated them at the head of those who were invited about 30 in number. 
And Samuel said to the cook, bring the piece of meat I gave you, the one I told you to lay aside. So the cook took up the leg with what was on it and set it in front of Saul. Samuel said, here is what has been kept for you. Eat because it was set aside for you for this occasion. From the time I said, I have invited guests. Saul dined with Samuel that day. And after they came down from the high place to the town, Samuel talked with Saul on the roof of his house. I want you to get this picture. Right in the midst of all the circumstance where he doesn't understand what's going on. He can't find his donkeys. He's broke. He has no money in his pocket. His bread sack is empty. He goes into this town at the suggestion of his servant to find the seer, to ask about donkeys. He's invited to come to a feast. He's treated as a man of honor. He's saying, what is happening to me? And now he is talking one-on-one with the most important man in the nation. The most feared man in the nation. Has put his arm around his shoulders and is talking to him as though he were somebody. They rose about daybreak and Samuel called Saul on the roof. Get ready. I will send you on your way. When Saul got ready, he and Samuel went outside together. This is 1 Samuel 9, verse 27. As they were going down to the edge of town, Samuel is walking Saul to the door. He's walking him as though he were a dignitary. Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so. But you stay here a while so that I may give you a message from God. Now, some of you walk through your days as though circumstances just happened. You go through your day saying, hey, I was lucky there. I was blessed here. Thank you, Jesus, for that. not realizing that God is in charge of all the circumstances of your life, that nothing can touch your life without the permission and direction of Almighty God. There is no such thing as chance. Now, part of what I'm going to say to you is going to be very difficult because if we take chance out of the equation and we take lady luck out of the equation and we begin to understand that God is in the smallest circumstances that affect our lives that he has a purpose that he's trying to accomplish then suddenly we're faced squarely with the reality that we're not in charge are you ready to give up being in charge of your life You notice I said your life. As long as there is the opportunity for chance and luck and and me to work hard and get ahead, 
then I can manage my own life and let's let God stay off in heaven somewhere and just shoot some blessings once in a while when I need an extra helping of luck. You know, like the man who who wins the lottery, goes to get the check, has his television filming, goes home, and a truck runs over him and he dies before he can spend the check. Was God in that? Yes! There is no circumstance that can touch your life that God is not directly involved with. He has a purpose. This is not aimless. There is a direction that he's attempting to achieve. And again, let me say this. If you respond to the circumstantial situation that he brings into your life in such a way that it pleases him, you will be brought into his presence. But if you respond to these circumstances in such a way that you rebel, then you will end up sitting at the witch's table and you will end up in death even as Saul ended up in death. So as I say to you, God is in every small circumstance of your life. He's involved in what's happening right now in your life. That can either be a fabulous blessing or an incredible curse. Depending on how you respond to those circumstances. I know. Throughout the seeker-sensitive church model that we have been accustomed to in this day, the word is that God wants to bless you. And it's true. He does want to bless you. But if you reject those openings that God brings into your life, he will not bless you. He will curse you. Walk with me further and you'll see more of what I'm speaking of. Samuel now in chapter 1, verse 1. I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 1. Samuel takes a flask of oil and pours it on Saul's head. And he kisses him. And he says, has not the Lord's anointed? Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. Now, watch. Samuel could have said nothing about what was going to happen in the future with Saul. But he is purposely pulling back the veil to reveal that God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen this afternoon. And he wants you to respond in a specific way to what he's going to reveal to you. And if you'll step into that revelation, then you will be blessed. Notice. When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. 
they will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? Now, can you imagine as Saul now leaves the presence of Samuel, his head must be spinning. He has just been anointed king over Israel. And he's saying, is this true? Is this possible? Why would God do this? And as he's walking down the road, at the specific place identified, he meets these men. They say to him what Samuel said they would say. Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. So now Saul is being trained even before he has been publicly recognized as king. He is being disciplined into hearing God knows the circumstances and he has a plan for you. Will you step in and do what you're told to do? Very simply, you're going to walk down the road. You're going to meet these men. They'll be carrying three young goats. They'll be carrying cheese. They'll be carrying three loaves of bread. They are going to offer you two loaves of bread. You take them. That's your provision. After that, you will go to Gilbreth of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres and tambourines and flutes and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying. The spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do for God is with you. Not the end of the statement. You need to listen to the rest of it. Wouldn't that be wonderful if it ended right there? (laughs) You've got the Holy Spirit now. Go home and do whatever your hand finds to do. Live your life. Enjoy your sin. God loves you. You're blessed. That's not the end of the statement. Listen to the end of the statement. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. So go do whatever your hand finds to do, but get to Gilgal. And when you get to Gilgal, camp out and wait for me seven days. And after seven days, I'll come and I'll tell you exactly what you're supposed to do. So we believe that God, in his mercy, controls our circumstances. And so we leave this service of worship. And we say, I wonder what I should do. Well, I think I'll do this and this and this. And off we go. 
And we'll have time for God maybe next Thursday night. Maybe next Sunday. Maybe two weeks from now. That's not the word of God to to this man, Saul. He had specific instructions. Go here. Do this. Wait. I'll come. Well, as Saul turned to leave in verse 9, God changed Saul's heart. And all of these signs were fulfilled that day. And when they arrived at Gilbreth, there was a procession of the prophets. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined their prophesying. And when all of those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this? What has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Now, I want to say very clearly to you, when you begin to recognize that God is in charge of all of your circumstances, and you begin to wait upon God, people are going to see a difference in you, and they're going to be saying, what's the problem with you? Why don't you just go ahead and do what you have to do? And when you say to them, I'm waiting on God, they'll say, well, God helps those who help themselves. God doesn't steer a parked car. Know that they're pagan speaking lies to your heart. Are you willing to wait on God? And are you willing to do what he tells you to do? Some of us like to wait on God, and after he tells us, we like to keep waiting on God. And then he tells us, and we keep waiting on God, because we've got an agenda full of other things we have to do. So we like to keep God waiting forever. Oh, wait a minute. I thought it was waiting on God. No, it's God waiting on me. God, would you just come and serve me? Be my genie. Do what I ask you to do when I ask you to do it. Change my heart when I ask you to change it, and then let me get back to business after I leave your presence. Let me go out and suck up all the world. And enjoy all that I have to do out there while I'm looking for my donkeys. I always want my circumstances to be that I'm looking for my lost opportunity. Some of you have been looking for your lost opportunity all your life. You're always looking for your next opportunity. And it's always just around the corner. But you never can reach it because you just don't have enough of something. If you had some more money or if you had some more people or if you had some more Whatever it is, then you can get it. But you can't get it because God won't help you get it. I mean, if God would just get on the ball and straighten stuff out and let you do what you want to do, everything would be okay. I just need a little luck. No. Saul said, you wait on God. You wait on God. And you do what he tells you to do when he tells you to do it. Now watch. Saul goes back home. And his uncle says to him, tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul replied, verse 16, he assured us that the donkeys had been found. But he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. 
Has God whispered something into your heart? And you won't tell anybody. Because if you tell somebody about it, you're going to have to act on it. And you don't want to act on it. God has been calling after some of you year after year. He's been talking to you about money. He's been talking to you about time. He's been talking to you about talent. He's been talking to you about all kinds of things. And you have not been responding and you've not been telling anybody about what God's saying to you. Because all you're doing is trying to find your donkeys. Just get by. And so now we're established with a king who is no king. Nobody knows he's king. He doesn't exercise his kingship and establish his throne. He goes back to farming. And now God is going to step in once more. God was not going to rest until everything had been done that he had promised in King Saul's life. He was King Saul, but he was out farming. He was King Saul, but he would not admit it to anybody. He had been anointed king over Israel. But he was farming. And so Samuel comes and summons the people of Israel to the Lord at Mitzpah. And he says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Verse 18. This is 1 Samuel 10, verse 18. I brought Israel up out of Egypt and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your calamities and distresses. And you have said, no, set a king over us. So now... Present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. And now he moves into the acceptable manner in that culture for determining the will of God by the casting of lots. And finally, Saul, son of Kish, is chosen. But they look for him and he can't be found. Now, I want you to notice this in 1 Samuel, the 10th chapter, verse 22. So they inquired further of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Now, that's such a small footnote in the story. What possible meaning could that have for us? Here they come before God to establish a king. And the king doesn't show up. And so they turn to the Lord and they ask him, where is Saul? He's hidden among the baggage. So they go find him. Now hear me. You're walking through your day. The circumstances are all there. You don't know what to do. You don't know what course to pursue. 
Did you know you can turn to the Lord God of heaven and ask him and he will tell you? Lord, here's the circumstances. This is what it looks like. What do you want me to do? You see, it's not until we come to that place in our circumstances where we have to say, oh God, what do you want here? That we'll begin to listen to him. He was brought out before all of the people. He was anointed king. Saul explained, or Samuel explained, all of the regulations for the kingdom, the governance. And then Samuel dismissed the people each to his own house. Now, do you notice, Saul did not dismiss the people. He still has not stepped into his kingdom. So Saul also went down to his house, but there's a change. Now he is accompanied by valiant men whose hearts have been touched by God, and they are now walking with him. And so you get the picture. Here's Saul back at home farming, and there's a tent city over on the, over on the far pasture filled with soldiers, and he doesn't know what to do with them. And they're waiting for orders. But now God is moving once more in the circumstances. And Nahash, the Ammonite, goes up to Jabesh Gilead. And he says, we're going to take you and your city. And they say, okay, we'll make a treaty with you. We'll serve you. We'll be subject to you. But Nahash says, I will make a treaty with you on only one condition, that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you so that I will bring disgrace on all Israel. God was in it. God was in it. So now, do they send out word for their king to come and deliver them? No. They send out word everywhere. And they say, is there anybody out there who can rescue us? Saul's coming in from farming. And as he's coming in from farming, he sees the people are weeping. And he says, why is everybody crying? And then he hears the gossip. And the Holy Spirit falls on him. And he slaughters his oxen right there. He cuts them up in little pieces. And he calls those soldiers that have been waiting. And he says, take these pieces throughout all of the land. And say that if any man does not show up for this battle. This is what his house will be. And the tear of Saul fell. The tear of the Lord fell on all of Israel. And they showed up as one man. 300,030 foot soldiers. You know the story. They take the Ammonites. They destroy them. And then Samuel says to the people, come. Let us go to Gilgal 
and there reaffirm the kingship. Verse 14. Do you remember what Gilgal was? Gilgal was the place where they circumcised everyone coming out of the wilderness when the children of Israel were coming into the promised land. And there the reproach was rolled away. Now they've come to roll the reproach away from the kingship of Saul. So all the people went to Gilgal and confirmed Saul as king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord. And Saul and all of the Israelites held a great celebration. Now what I want you to see in all of this is that the Lord God of heaven arranged all the circumstances. Nothing was done that was not done by the hand of God. Nothing has been done in your life to this point except as the hand of God has moved in it. Now your sin has created additional problems for God. Your response to the circumstances that he brought into your life has caused you pain and anguish because you have turned away from the way the Lord God has called you and you've walked in disobedience before him. But not to mind, God is still working in those circumstances and now begins all over anew to create circumstances to cause you to come to a very specific place in your walk with him. And I want to show you in the new covenant where that walk is. In 1 Peter, the first chapter, this is to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout the providences. They have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. All of the circumstances of your life have been for one purpose, and that is to cause you to enter into the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus. What happens to you after you die? Where will you go? Where will you spend eternity? Well, Saul chose to respond to his circumstances by turning against the will of the Lord God of heaven and choosing to do his own program. And he finally, when God would no longer speak to him, went to the witch of Endor and ate at her table. You see, when God looks down at America, he's not concerned about our wealth. He's not concerned about any of the things we might think he's concerned about. He's concerned about whether our hearts are being drawn into the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. He's concerned about whether we're preparing our hearts for heaven or for hell. And he will judge accordingly. So listen, 1 Peter, the first chapter, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now please, let me try to draw it together. Holy Spirit, Give me words. Make this clear to our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Saul watched the circumstances. They were fulfilled as Samuel said they would be. But he was not brought into the discipline of suffering. He had it quick, and he had it easy. He became king almost overnight. So he had the anointing of God, and it changed his life, but he received it without any struggle or trial. He received it without any testing. He received it with just the word of God being spoken, and he received the Holy Spirit. God is going to accomplish what he needs to accomplish to sear into my heart that every circumstance that he brings into my life, he has brought for the purpose of teaching me to trust him and to enter into this sanctifying work of salvation. Now, I am the first to confess I have rebelled mightily against the sanctifying work of God. I have rebelled against it. I have said, God, this is too hard. I haven't wanted to submit to it because of the wickedness covered up down there in my heart. There was just unbelief, bitter unbelief. Anger at God that I was being put in these circumstances. And then a part of me would say, you know, maybe there's no God at all. You know, maybe this thing is just a psychological game. And I don't want to play it. I can't do that anymore. The Lord God of heaven has revealed himself to me time after time after time. He's spoken his word into my heart. He has revealed the hidden secrets to my soul. He has revealed to me where I will go if I sit at the witch's table. And so he puts me in the fire to refine me, to cause me to rise up in faith and say, Lord Jesus, I will give you the sacrifice of praise. And he will continue putting me in that fire until I give him that sacrifice of praise. Or else, he will release me and let me go my way. 
and depart from my soul. And I don't know and you don't know where that place is where we finally step over the line and we say to God, get out of my life. I'm not going to obey you. I'm not going to walk with you. I'm going to walk in my own way. And he leaves. We serve a God who judges each man's work impartially. And the judge is at the door. He has watched your response to the circumstances he has brought into your life. At the end of time, we will look back and we will say, I would not choose to be led other than as you led me. And we will acknowledge that he is the king of kings and that he is the Lord of lords and that he was righteous. We will do that whether we go to hell or heaven. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. We're located in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or you can visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort for all. What Stay.